Welcome to Positive Adoption, where you can find adoption, foster care, and trauma-informed parenting all in one place. I'm Kathleen Guire, your host, mother of seven, four through adoption, former National Parent of the Year, author, teacher, and speaker. But more than any of those things, I'm a parent just like you. I know what it's like to raise kiddos from hard places. I used to feel as if I were the only one struggling, and because I felt that way, I isolated myself. I don't want you to feel alone in your parenting journey. So grab a cup of coffee and join me for Positive Adoption, a coffee break podcast. Hi, Kathleen Guire here. Welcome to Positive Adoption. Instead of doing my personal update and my community update like I usually do to start the podcast, I'm doing something different today. I'm interviewing a special guest, Rachel Eubank, and I would like to use the time to talk to her instead of talking about myself. So this is Rachel, and I am going to let her introduce herself. Go ahead. Hey, my name is Rachel, um, and I'm excited to talk to you guys today. And I wrote out a series of questions, and I sent them to her ahead of time so that she could answer them. But let me first off say I've known Rachel for many, many years. Before she was a foster parent, we were friends. So it's been very exciting to watch her journey and then to learn some more about her history. So let's start there. Tell me about your childhood in reference to fostering. Sure. Fostering has just, it's always been around my whole life. Um, Before I was born, uh, my parents got together and they decided that they were going to foster because uh, my mom had an aunt that she wanted to kind of follow her footsteps. Uh, And my dad was a foster child his whole life that never got adopted. So he wanted to be able to give back to the foster parent community and all that it is. So they decided together, when they got together, they were going to foster. Um, They got two kids fostered before I was born, and Mm. then they kept going. Um, They they ended up with over 150 children moving through their home. Yeah, and they're in the Detroit area, so they specialize in um, usually cocaine-addicted children. and some of them, you know, the little ones that came with heart monitors, the whole deal. Wow. Uh, it was just kind of a, a normal thing in our home that there was always going to be someone different at the dinner table. Uh, they finally stopped fostering only a few years ago. Uh, I wrote it in the blog, and I didn't write down the number, but it was, it was maybe 35, 37 years of fostering. Oh, my so, goodness. Um, yeah, it was just, there was always, <laughs> always someone new at the house. Um, and my, my parents are just, you know, a lot of people have stories where their parents were, were hard to, to be with as they were growing up. And that is not my story. My parents are wonderful. They, they were foster parents of the year in Michigan. Wow. Um, at, at one of the years they, they used to organize big conferences. They used to teach classes. Uh, they were even on Oprah. So oh my goodness. They were just really, yeah, they were just really awesome examples of um, how to parent, how to foster, um, and just how to how to be, really. Yeah. 
And it's so interesting because when I met you and I started, I didn't know anything about your history. Obviously, we don't when we first meet someone, but I didn't realize how much depth and wisdom your family had. And it's interesting to me in today's day and age, we often look to our peers, the people who are doing exactly what we're doing when we're doing it and think they know it. But what we really need to be looking to or who we need to be looking to in the foster care adoption realm is people like your parents who did it that for that many years. They're the ones that have the wisdom, you know, and they, they are. Yeah. And they, they um, you know, it's funny. I've taken a lot of I've taken your class of the, the Care of Purvis Institute and the training. And, and I appreciate all that training, but at the same time, like, my dad would tell stories about how they parented, and he didn't take the training, but he still knew what to do. He hmm. talked about there was a, a little boy who was terrified one night when he went to bed because there was a spider on his bed, and he would scream during the night, and my dad went in and said, well, what's wrong? Why are you screaming? There's a spider on my bed. I'm scared. My dad turns his head and he looks, and it's the spider that the little boy drew on his stand in a sharpie earlier that day. Oh my goodness! <laughs> at night, it was, right, <laughs> but at night it was terrifying. And I'll tell you, I, I don't know if I would have had the thought that he did because at midnight, with a boy afraid of a drawn-on spider that he drew during the day, I would not have had much patience. But, I know. You know, my dad took out the duct tape. And he covered it up, and he said, it's gone now, you're safe, kissed him, put him back to bed. You know, and he was able to, to parent through connection instead of just, oh, like, what are my. you doing? <laughs> exactly. Dr. <laughs> Purvis would have been proud, and he never took Dr. <laughs> Purvis's training or class. And, yeah, I think that's, right. in this day and age, we need a lot more of the looking to the people who have already been there. They, and Definitely. And I think that you have such a wealth of knowledge to go to. Will they answer your questions? Sorry, I'm getting off topic. I'm supposed to be sticking to these questions. But do your parents answer your questions when you have one? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, it, it's so nice, too, because, you know, I'll, I'll be running do this or that, and I'll, I'll call my mom in, in, in the car in those five minutes that we have, and we'll kind of go over what's going on, and she, she can tell me, I remember those days. Okay. You're doing a great job. You know, we were there. And it's true. Like, they were absolutely there. So it's not, I don't know, it, it makes you feel less isolated for sure because she can, she can just look back and say, yep, that's how it was. It's all right. Keep going. <laughs> right. And that's so comforting because I think one of the biggest drawbacks of being in the foster care and adoption world is that feeling of isolation because you're so busy parenting these kids and doing everything that needs to be done you don't have time to do anything else it's not like you're going on coffee dates with your friends or shopping or going to the movies <laughs> it's like all of that is part of your past if it ever was part of your life you know what I mean so it's right and you know we're allowed to invite over so some people do some people go ahead and just invite our chaos over and we appreciate that but we are a lot right so, you know. yes I remember those days when the invitations were fewer and far between because they were like uh Kathleen and Jerry and seven kids nope let's not invite them 
exactly. <laughs> well, I think you're kind of leading into our next question, which is, what led you to become a foster parent? <laughs> well, I mean, that, that's pretty easy. You know, actually, yeah, I'd already told you about my family, but Bob's family were also foster and adoptive parents. They, they fostered uh, less time. I, I can't remember how many years, but they, they had quite a few kids through their home, and one of them was a pregnant teen, and they ended mm. up adopting her son when oh, she was wow. able to be old enough to, to sign that through. So Bob's youngest brother is adopted. Um, also, his parents are named Bob and Mary, and so are my parents, so it's all a little weird, but <laughs> when, we, when, <laughs> when we got married, we knew that we wanted to go ahead and continue that legacy where both of our both of our parents fostered and adopted, so it was kind of the normal thing. We're just going to just keep going with this. Um, right, and you guys and then, kind of did what we did, which was we had some bio kids first, and then... When we felt like we were getting, like we kind of knew what we were doing with parenting. And we're like, okay, let's <laughs> let's get into the adoption world. And then we found out that we had no idea what we were doing. <laughs> but right. I think that's pretty normal. Yeah, our, our youngest daughter, um, we have four biological children. Our youngest daughter was uh, 10 when we decided to start fostering. So, yeah, we gave it some time. But we always knew it was going to be part of our our marriage in our lives we definitely knew um and you know one thing that I, I wrote down while I was thinking about this is that um I, I wouldn't call becoming a foster parent a calling mm -hmm. because sometimes I think it's it's dangerous to do that because you know we we knew fostering was a need and we were able to fill the need so we did it you mm -hmm. know as basic as that sometimes and I think that when sometimes when people are constantly saying I'm looking for my calling I'm waiting for my calling um, they wait around and they miss a lot of good work that they could have been done, could have been doing right. while they're waiting for that special calling. Sometimes it's just work that needs to be done and we do it. Right. And I, I guess maybe my definition of calling is a little different because I think it is a calling, but it's a calling that doesn't often come. I think that in Christianese, that word gets really confused because people think they're going to see an angel and they're going to get fluttery feelings and that what it, when they choose to go out into the fostering realm that it's going to the path is going to be easy and straight you know it is a job mm -hmm. it's a job right. and like you said it's a need that needs to be fulfilled and there's mandate in scripture that God says that we're supposed to take care of the widow and the orphan it's not a hey if you feel like it or if right. you have an angel appearance today, or but tomorrow if you don't feel like it, you don't have to do it anymore. So I think we're right. all I called. I did not have an angel appearance. Me neither. I did not. And there were times yeah. in my journey that I wish an angel would come and like I've heard. I heard this one story of a lady who was a foster and adoptive parent, and she had a lot of kids, and she was under a lot of strain, and she actually did have an angel come and do her laundry and clean her house. Like it just magic. I'm sure it was a person, but you know what I mean? Like someone right, came and right. did that for her. And yeah, I wish I would have had that sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I'll take one of those for sure. <laughs> right. So tell us about your website and why you started it. Sure. So it's called Normalizing Foster Care. Um, and it's at normalizingfostercare.wordpress.com. Um, 
and you know, I just, I felt like I had something to say. And mm-hmm. I know there was a couple times I even texted you and I said, I've got something to say. I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't do it. And then I wrote someone an email and I was like, you know what? I do have something to say. So I need to just start doing it. Right. Um, you know, right. <laughs> you're doing it. Um, and you know, all the time I hear, and I'm sure you have heard too, oh, I just couldn't do what you do. Mm-hmm. Oh, that sounds really complicated. Oh, I don't know if I could handle it. Um, and you can, that's just, I feel like I just wanted to tell people you can do this. Mm-hmm. And, um, I just want to give them a look at what, what it's like in our home, who's, who's in, who's, who's out, what kind of people we team with, what the daily life looks like, kind of just uncovering all of this mysticism about foster care that is just, it's just not necessary. It's just normal life for us. It's just day-to-day kind of stuff. Um, right. I was telling my mom about all of that and she was like, really, it's not that hard. <laughs> and I know, I don't mean to say that, you know, the meltdowns aren't hard. The parenting's not hard. Of course it is. Um, but parenting your own children is also hard. Right. So when you add, like, especially if you have your own children already, adding fostering, yes, you have more paperwork. Yes, you have more people in and out and you have to pull out all of those good parenting skills that maybe you didn't have to use them all on your biological kids. You do have to use them on your foster and adoptive kids. Right. They are harder. But at the end of the day, you choose your heart. And and for me, adding a couple of extra kids, it's not that hard. And um, it concerns me sometimes when, like you have the, the big bloggers, the ones that everybody listens to, um, the, just, just the word on the street is that fostering is hard. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes it turns people off to that. Oh, that yeah. sounds like more than I can handle. Right. But it's not more than you can handle. And, um, you know, there's a lot of resources to help. And I just want to kind of put it out there that it can be just part of your day. Like, it's, it doesn't have to be that hard or that complicated. Right. And I loved how you said you choose your hard. I think that should be your mm-hmm. tagline. Or you can do it because you're right. And and I agree with you. There are those big bloggers out there that are saying, you know, they they've they've fostered one kid or adopted one kid and and um I have another I had another thought, but I won't get into it because <laughs> it would get us off track. It will be another podcast. But so <laughs> Um, what's one piece of advice you would give someone considering foster care? Um, well, I guess I read the question wrong because I was prepared for someone who is in foster care, but the same. No, the same it's okay. Thing. Go with that one. One okay. piece of advice yeah, for someone. Go ahead. So love excessively and hand out buckets of grace was what I wrote down for my tagline for that one. <laughs> That's um, good. You know, your first job, or your number one job is to keep the child in your care safe. Absolutely, number one. You, you, don't, you don't ignore that part. So mm-hmm. when I say love excessively and give out buckets of grace, I mean that definitely with the child safety first. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But social workers that take so long to email you back or that don't give you the answers you need, love them anyway. They have a lot to do, and sometimes they're... Sometimes they're great workers that just are buried, and sometimes they're not great workers. Mm-hmm. Love them anyway. 
Um, we had one that was difficult to work with, and instead of talking about how difficult it was, I started sending her texts and pictures of the kids that she cares for and telling her thank you for what she's doing. And hmm. all of a sudden, she started doing a whole lot more. Wow. You know, she worked hard to get us an allowance to go to the zoo. Well, that took extra paperwork for her. Right. And I texted her a picture, you know, the kids with the elephants. Look what you did. Thank you for your help. Um, and wow. those kind of things, there's no, it takes just as much energy to say thank you and to give love than it does to complain about them. That's true. Um, same with biological, biological families, same thing. Um, I saw, uh, I don't know where I saw it or where it came from, so I can't give credit to it, but it's not mine. But someone talked about how um, biological parents are just grown-up versions of the foster kids we're excited to take care of right now. Hmm. And we need to remember that when we're dealing with them and um, give them lots of love, lots of grace if they disappoint you. Or they disappoint the kids that you're working with, love them anyway. Right. <laughs> over and over again, love them anyway. Love them anyway. Anyway. Yeah, to, and do what you can to lift them up. And pictures go a long way with that, too. Um, you know, and, and reminders that these are these are theirs. These kids you're taking care of, they're, they're their children, and they're what they're fighting for. Um, if they do something small, even the smallest thing sometimes is big. Maybe they remember to bring diapers to a visit. Send mm -hmm. them a text. Or if you're not if, if you're not able to communicate that way, send them a note. Thanks for thanks for bringing those along. It made visits so much easier. You know, have a great day. Something like that. Right. Well, that's those it are just makes everything easier. <laughs> right. Those are really good pieces of advice and I really like what you said. It takes the same amount of energy to complain as it does to be grateful and say thank you. And it's true. Right. And actually, the thing is, you're going to have more energy if you are grateful and thankful and you're using grace instead of judgment and criticism because that just weighs everybody down. Right. So I yes, want to thank... You can catch more flies with honey than you can with vinegar, right? <laughs> right, right. And that's biblical. That's not yep. the exact scripture. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to thank you for joining me today and give us the website one more time where we can find you. Sure. It's normalizingfostercare.wordpress.com. And there's a Facebook page as well by the same name. So thanks for joining me and we will see you. Well, I will see you next week. Bye. Sounds good. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Positive Adoption. Make sure you subscribe on thewholehouse.org to receive your gift of five things, a tiny handbook for foster and adoptive families, and receive a monthly newsletter plus updates when new books or courses are released. Please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Podomatic, Spotify, or YouTube and leave a review so others can find positive adoption and know the value of the show. You're welcome to send an email to me at positiveadoption at gmail.com and follow me on social media. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at The Whole House and Twitter at Kath Guire. Thanks for listening to the show.